1: Five six one six one six twenty. What are those people talking about? You got a deal. A deal is a deal. Stop whining about it. Live up to its obligations. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Eric Bilstadt. I I come in every morning. I'm relaxed, happy, carefree. And by the time the show starts... I'm just, my blood pressure is up. I am worked into a frenzy. This is not good for my health. And, you know, it's one thing after another. Two accounts that that you had during your news kind of set me off. This first one, Rob Blagojevich, who is the disgraced... Former governor from yeah. Chicago, mm-hmm. for people who, who don't know, because I understand we have a short memory, he was convicted. Now, he, he actually, he's a buddy of Trump, sort of, kind of, because he was on The Celebrity Apprentice. Right, back Pro- in 2010. Right, yeah. proving that, you know, celebrity is kind of a relative term. Um, in t- <clears throat> he was convicted of of bribery because what he was doing in 2008, he was taking money In order to sell the senator, he, Barack Obama was senator from Illinois. Mm -hmm. Obama gets elected president, creates a vacancy. The governor gets to appoint it. He was taking bribes for, you know, who the potential appointment was. And he did it a couple times. He gets convicted. Gets sentenced to prison. He went to prison in 2012, 14 years. So he's been there since 2012. He's due to be released with good time in 2024, but his sentence would normally run to 2026. Okay, so that is the background. Your news story from ABC is what? ABC says the president is expected to commute the sentence of
0: Blagojevich, that according to several senior-level sources. And...
1: Okay, and then didn't the story go on to, to quote Trump as saying that there, there's all sorts of people who think that this was like an injustice or something that was done?
0: Oh, yeah, he said a lot of people have said it's unfair. That's, they, where he's talked about this publicly in the past, and that was one of the comments he made.
1: Who in the world <laughs> thinks that this was an unfair sentence? Rob Bulgoyevich was a crook. In the Chicago tradition, he sold the office. He was bribed. He is a corrupt politician Mm -hmm. who's lucky he didn't get a longer sentence than that. And Donald Trump is sympathetic to this guy. Oh, this is a terrible injustice! Look, I'm a prosecutor, so I I mean, I I I think the pardon power power of commutation should be used sparingly. But I got to tell you, I, I. You can give me a list of a 1,000 people that are serving time in federal prisons right now, and I guarantee you, without working too hard, I can find at least 500 who are much more worthy of being commuted than this slug, and the president is doing that for him, at least considering it. it Could happen today, according to ABC. I, I just, you know, I... I try to be nuanced about this, and and this is one of the reasons Scott Walker got all sorts of criticism because he never exercised the pardon power during all eight years that he was governor. His belief was that um, he he just didn't feel that the governor should be getting involved in the criminal justice, especially when people are doing time. Now, Tony Evers has issued pardons, but in general, it's been for people who have served their sentences. And, you know, you, you commit a crime when you're 18 years old and you've served your time and 30 years later, you want to get you want to be able to legally carry a gun right, or something right, to go right, hunting. Right. And, and and Evers has issued a limited number of pardons and I, I understand the two different philosophies, but I haven't criticized the Evers for that because, okay, it, fine, you know, you look somebody's head or, you know, should, should something stupid you did when you were 19 years old haunt you when you're 55 years old or something and you've had a remarkable life. But that's not Blagojevich. He's still behind bars. Mm-hmm. Who in their right mind would let him out? All right, now I'm going to get the letters from all. Oh, you're just a never-Trumper. No, I defend <laughs> the president on time to time. But this is just bat crap crazy. That's a phrase that you're going to be hearing a lot during the show. To consider, of all the people you'd let out, some guy that was on your damn TV show. <sighs> okay. All right. And you know, and, and then of course you've got the whole thing I was talking about yesterday with with Roger Stone. You you've ever seen there's this documentary called Get Me Roger Stone. Yeah, Netflix, right? oh, oh yeah, it's it's and it's fast. I mean, Roger Stone, I don't care Republican Democrat Roger Stone is a slime bag. He's been a slime bag since he was a Nixon dirty trickster. And and he's been involved in one shady operation after another for his entire life. That that's just who the guy is. And so the Justice Department finally catches up with him he gets nailed for a lie into the FBI or Congress or whatever this is why Donald Trump would spend one one dime of political support to bail and I understand that he and Roger Stone go back but I mean the guy's a slimeback. why you would spend one dime of political capital on Roger Stone is crazy to me all right, thanks, Eric. You've kind of got me all worked up here. You I mean, are welcome. It's just, it's just Blagojevich of all the people in the world. This is the guy that you're going to let out early. <sighs> all right, let me you can give me the. You just don't understand. Don't know, I understand. Blagojevich was a crook. He was. He took bribes. He belongs behind bars. Okay, that's the first story that has my blood pressure up. Here is the second story, and Eric kind of referred to this. I want to I want to read you just the three paragraphs that are in the Journal Sentinel JS Online that describes this. Arzell J. Ivory charged with three counts of homicide in the deaths of the Milwaukee mother and her two daughters. This like over the weekend there was the Amber Alert. The the lady and the two daughters go missing. Now that they found them dead. Okay, so here here's here's this description. After strangling Amara Banks. In the early morning of February 8th, Arzell J. Ivory told police that he tossed both of her, that he kissed both of her children goodbye. I believe one of the kids was his kid. He kissed both of her children goodbye, told them their mother wanted them to join her in heaven, and strangled them too. So he strangles the girlfriend who I believe was the mother of one of the, these two daughters, strangles the five-year-old daughter, strangles the four-year-old daughter after telling them that their mother wanted to join her in, them to join her in heaven. Prosecutors filed three counts of first-degree intentional homicide Tuesday against Ivory, who, after being arrested in Tennessee over the weekend, had previously been charged with a battery connected. This is a developing story. Okay. The guy kills his girlfriend and then strangles the two children ages five and six i have one question no don't call in and answer it is a rhetorical question explain to me again why wisconsin doesn't have the death penalty explain to me why if found guilty beyond a reasonable doubt of strangling the girlfriend and then killing premeditated killing of the two children including one of yours it's, but you know, Not that it matters, but it's a four- and a six-year-old, but one is your own natural child. Explain to me why after killing these three people with your bare hands, somebody should be – the guy is like in his 20s, I think. Somebody should be, I don't know, put up for the next 40, 50 years at the expense of the taxpayers with three meals a day, access to cable TV, libraries, workout facilities, exercise rooms, et cetera. Explain to me why we do not have the death penalty. And I understand there's some people who think, well, it's it's cruel and unusual. Well, <laughs> he strangled these three people. And if there was ever a case... That says, you know, all this, you know, progressive thinking about, oh no, you know, we we don't want to put people to death for their crimes. All right, explain to me why this one, if the guy is guilty, would not justify the ultimate penalty—that would be capital punishment. I know we don't have it. I just say it's too bad. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: Welcome back to Jeff Wagner
1: on WTMJ. just sent out a tweet. You can follow me at Jeff Wagner 620 And the phrase was, you have got to be, it's the Blagojevich story. You've got to be kidding me. The president sure makes it tough to support him sometimes. It really does. The president expected to commute the crooked governor from Illinois saying, oh, some people think this was unfair. Who? Outside of the governor, outside of Blagojevich, outside of his wife, and outside of the guy's immediate family, I don't think anybody thinks this was unfair. All right. Just aggravating, especially when... You decide to monkey in the criminal justice process on behalf of some of your buddies. It's just, it's just, it is aggravating in the extreme when anybody does it. And it's not just Trump. I mean, I still remember on the way out of office, Clinton decided to, you know, pardon this fugitive financier who donated, whose wife had donated a whole bunch of money to his campaign. Just absolutely outrageous. All right, let's get started. We have talked on multiple occasions about this effort to try to change the time that taverns have to close during the Democratic National Convention. Right now, state law says that bars across the state have to close at 2 in the morning on weeknights, and then Friday, Saturday, Saturday, Sunday, they can close at 2.30. Why does the state regulate this in the first place? I mean, if Germantown wants to allow the bars in the German town, village of Germantown to stay open all night, shouldn't they have the right to do that? And my answer would be yes. Our number, eight five five six one six one six twenty. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Why is the state telling a local community that you have to close the bars at 2 o'clock in the morning or 2.30. Now, of course, this comes up in the context of legislation, which came through the Assembly yesterday, came through an Assembly committee, is going to be voted on next week, which for the 10 days, I think, surrounding the Democratic National Convention would allow municipalities to keep bars open until 4 o'clock in the morning. All right. I, I It was bottled up because the Tavern League wanted to attach riders to this and tie that legislation into legislation which would allow people to serve liquor in wedding barns without getting liquor licenses. That, that was separated out. So now it's going through as an independent bill. I assume it's going to pass the Assembly and the Senate, and I assume the governor will sign it. But I want to talk about this larger point, which is moving forward, if a local community decides – that, you know what, we want, to allow, but we want to allow bars to stay open 24 hours. Now, I'm not arguing that that's not, that, that is necessarily the, the best strategy. But, for example, if the city of Milwaukee decides we want to be Las Vegas of the East and we want to create a, a bar zone, you know, down around the convention center in the hotels or wherever, and, and, and we want to allow the bars to stay open all night in, in this, this area, Why shouldn't Milwaukee be allowed to do that? Why should the powers that be in Madison say, no, 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 you have to close the bars at two? And again, I'm not arguing necessarily that it's a good idea to leave bars open all night. But if in a, if in, okay, Wisconsin Dells, for example, decides, hey, during the summer, you know, we, we want to allow hotel bars, for example, to stay open all night. Why shouldn't they have the right to do that? 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I would argue they should. Local communities, I think, should have the right to decide bar closing times. And maybe maybe they want to close the bars earlier. Maybe they should say, you know what, we, we don't like this idea that they can stay open till 2 o'clock. Maybe they should say... We want to make sure they close it at 12. Shouldn't local communities have the right to decide when bars open and when bars close? My answer would be yes, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Grew is lining up the calls. If you're on the line, please hold on. I mean, shouldn't Milwaukee be able to decide? Shouldn't Whitefish Bay be able to decide? Shouldn't Germantown be able to decide? Shouldn't the city of Waukesha be able to decide? I think the answer is yeah. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment.
0: Back to Take Your Calls.
1: Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So very glad to have you with us. Let's start with Mike in Milwaukee. Mike, good afternoon. Good afternoon.
0: Um, I don't have a problem with what you're saying. I think the municipalities should. Um, obviously, she going to be a moneymaker for Milwaukee and the other foreign coins. That's. Mm-hmm. That's a no-brainer. The only thing I'm going to throw out there, and I told your screen of this, I'm going to be the devil's advocate you and know, say, what happens then if a community says, "Oh, you know, we'd rather have recreational marijuana too"? Should they have the right to do that?
1: Well, that's my question, you. no, and I think that that's I, mean, I think that's a fair question, but again, the and my answer would be no, because. The state has an interest in passing various laws, for example, like the criminal laws. And, I mean, I think the state has the right to say, all right, um, distribution of marijuana is is illegal. I don't think you can decide, let Madison decide versus allowing Milwaukee to decide. But we're not talking about a criminal law here. You know, we're talking about decisions that are made on on opening and, and closing, in this case, establishments. And I, I guess, look, I, I'm getting a number of texts saying, don't you realize there's all this drunk driving problem that, that's out there and this could potentially be disastrous? Maybe, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe not. But isn't that a decision if the city of Milwaukee, for example, says, hey, you know, we we think maybe, you know, we're trying to have this entertainment district that's down here and and we think it would be an enhancement to allow the bars if the bars want to stay open all night. Now, my guess is the reality is there's not going to be enough business to get many bars that are interested in doing this. And if you have ones where there's a lot of drunk driving and it increases dramatically, well, okay, then you can always pull the liquor license. But I guess I just look at this and say, why What is the state interest? Why don't you allow it to the local communities? Now, I do understand... That, you know, we we had situations a number of years ago where we had some states that had 18-year-old drinking ages and some that had 19-year-old drinking ages and some that had 21-year-old drinking ages. And so what you would have is you would have, I don't know, kids who couldn't legally drink in one state that would drive 30 miles and go to another state and then they'd get liquored up and they'd get back and, and drive again. And that inconsistency led to a problem. In this case... All right. If if you're going to be drunk, I don't necessarily think that you know allowing the bars to stay open to three thirty in the morning is going to lead to a lot more drunk driving than closing them at at two thirty is going to. And again, if you've got a problem with problem drinkers, uh, the police are going to figure out that pretty quickly, and the word is going to end up getting out. Just food for thought.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: So I was telling Steve and Martin that I I went over this morning to the Apple store at at Bayshore because I was trying to find someone who could replace the battery in this 8-year-old iPod I had. And the people at the Apple store were very, very nice. And they, they told me, you know, it, it it just can't be done. We don't service these things anymore. You, you can't get it. And what you have to do is buy a new one. And if you could find a battery, it would cost you $150, and the new ones are $200. So I wasn't very happy with Apple. But at the same time, I am somewhat sympathetic. There is a story that just demonstrates the problems that Bayshore has. Now, I grew up in Glendale. So, I mean, I remember Bayshore Shopping Center during the heyday. And you go to Bayshore now, and there's nothing there. I, I mean, most of the restaurants have closed most of the retail stores have closed. There, there's still some. They're tearing down the enclosed parts of the mall, and, and the plan is they 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 hope to you know replace this with some housing and some uh, you know um, not not retail but some commercial buildings. I I don't see it happening. But, you know, I I hope it does. Like I said, I mean, I grew up in Glendale and so I I have a fondness for Bayshore. But right now, there's not too many real reasons to go over there. But the the Apple store that I went to, that's one of the few things. It's, you know, you go into the Apple store and and I, I saw this story that's out there, though. Well, apparently, and this underscores again the problem that merchants are having. Thieves, according to JS Online, stole $25,000 worth of products from Mayfair and Bayshore Apple stores in less than 24 hours. Police in Wawatosa and Glendale are searching for three thieves who stole more than $17,000 worth of merchandise from the Apple stores at Mayfair and Bayshore on January 30th. The thefts occurred 30 minutes apart from each other, and another theft at the Apple store at Mayfair the next day netted more than $8,000 worth of stolen products. Now get this. At Bayshore, the thieves stole 17 Apple Watches, 14 Apple Magic trackpads, and one Apple Pencil. The thefts totaled ten thousand nine hundred and fifty nine bucks. At Mayfair they got away with eight Apple watches, nine Apple pencils, four Apple AirPods, and five Apple magic trackpads. That was worth six grand, and then the next day they came back and stole another eight grand. According to the incident report from the Glendale Police Department, police responded to the Apple store at Bayshore for a retail theft on Thursday, january thirtieth, about one o'clock this is one o'clock in the afternoon. The uh, clerk says she saw a man take five to seven track pads and put them in his pants. He did this twice. Okay, that's probably your, your first clue that there's something irregular going on here. When she asked him whether he was going to pay for them, he said, yeah, I'll pay. That same person then grabbed several Apple pencils and watches from the front display table. Another man then began to grab Apple watches from a front display area. The report said third man took an Apple pencil. All three men then exited the store. The report said all three men were wearing black puffy coats. And the, the same sort of thing happens out at, at, uh, out at Mayfair as well. So you've got this ring of guys who are going into the Apple stores and they're stealing all sorts of stuff. If you wonder why... We can't have nice things in this world. Th- this is this is why, you know. One of the underreported stories at Bay Shore for years has been the idea that this no shoplifting has been bad there for a number of years, and a number of the merchants I-, I think sort of made this informal agreement. I have been told that they weren't going to report all the shoplifting. Because whenever you report shoplifting, the police have to come out, they file reports, and then those reports are public record, and you don't want to get the idea, people get the idea that crime is out of control. Well, okay, crime is out of control. And, and, you know, I mean, the Apple Store is one of the, the nice stores that's still left at Bayshore you know and even though i've got my beef with apple not being not servicing an 8-year-old iPod it's it's a nice store okay it's a place that attracts people it's the kind of store that you'd want to build a retail store around but i got to tell you if you've got a bunch of losers that are walking in there and stealing on a regular basis 10 15 20,000 10 15 20,000 worth of product you're you're not going to stay open very long and and this it's it's not the fault of the apple store it's not the fault of the Glendale Police Department. It is the fact that you have crime that is just absolutely and totally out of control. I think it's probably a lot worse than is being reported. But the truth of the matter is, if you're trying to figure out you know, a quick way to you know, completely and totally kill off Bayshore, it's, it's this because if I'm the Apple store why stay open if I got people walking in and sticking seven you know track pads or whatever in their pants and running out the door i mean that that's just the reality of this mayfair Lord knows Mayfair has enough problems with the kids getting into fights and the shootings and all that type of stuff. If the word gets out that you have people that are there stealing these stores blind, well, all right, that's going to be another mall that ends up going under. Now, Mayfair isn't in the situation Bayshore is. But again, if you wonder why you can't have nice things, it's if you wonder why you can't have nice stores, it's because of the effect of crime. Period. Plain and simple. And unless Glendale and Bayshore, they don't call it Bayshore Town Center anymore, but unless they figure out a way to get a hold on that, good luck getting people to, you know, rent apartments. Good luck getting people to buy condos, good luck getting businesses to relocate into that area, and good luck getting stores to stay open if the type of thing that happened at the Apple store a couple weeks ago is going to happen to them if they open up their businesses. It is a tragedy. When we come back, the Madison School District, the People's Republic of Madison, they're, after, they're at it again. I'll explain.
0: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: Drew, producing the show today and always. This is just going to be one of these shows that I just... I, I'm going to walk off at 3 o'clock and just, just have the, this headache. I saw this story out of the corner of my eye. Do you know where Ridgeland, Wisconsin is? Uh, no. Okay, it's about... It's north and a little bit west of Eau Claire. So Ridgeland, Wisconsin, town, a population of about 270 people. All right? Ridgeland, I. I, look, I, I'm one of these people that mocks PETA all the time. I, I, I do, um, but every once in a while, there's a story that catches my attention. Ridgeland, Wisconsin, every every year in February, and this year it was last weekend. They they have what they call Pioneer Days, where the town of 270 thousands of people flock to Ridgeland, Wisconsin to to celebrate Pioneer Days. All right, I. I swear, I'm going to send out a tweet on this. The The highlight of Pioneer Days, the highlight of Pioneer Days is people stand on the roof of like the general store and they take live chickens. I'm not making this up. And they throw live chickens into the crowd of people waiting waiting below, that like they're on the they're on the main street. And so this giant crowd of people and they take these live chickens and they throw them into the air. On and then people catch them, theoretically, or sometimes they don't catch them. And hundreds of chickens are thrown into the crowd. And what happens is if you catch a chicken, you get to keep it. All right, I, you're, you're looking at me with that look on your face. I, I swear, I'm not making this up. It's a, it's a chicken toss. So the farmers are just donating chickens. I, where do they get them? I, it's a good question. I, I haven't, haven't gone that far down this, this rabbit All hole. Right. But, but okay, I, I am not, I I, 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 don't deer hunt myself. I'm not a hunter myself. But I, I understand other people that do it. I, I would not want to shoot another living thing. But I, I don't fault people who do it. It's just not me. But at the same time, I, I, I'm trying to picture taking a chicken, throwing it into the air in 10-degree weather, and, okay, maybe somebody's going to catch it, maybe somebody's going to not. Now, I, I don't get hung up on animal cruelty, but at the same time, throwing hundreds of chickens into a crowd probably comes as close to animal cruelty as I, I can imagine. And and then you wonder, okay, what's going to happen? Some kid catches one of these chickens and takes it home. Well, what, what are they... What are they going to do with it? I mean, it's not like it's a domestic pet or anything. Now, interestingly, you, you've got some of the animal rights groups who are trying to stop this practice. Matter of fact, I was reading. Apparently, a whole bunch of them descended on this, and they were trying to catch the chickens, and they caught like 25 of the 200, and they're going to try to like save these chickens and all. I'm, I'm like, all right, who thinks about this? I mean, I'm, I'm trying to picture, I, I, I'm trying to picture standing in a crowd. Waiting for somebody to throw a terrified, freezing live chicken off a roof. Who, in their right mind, is going to catch this? I mean, seriously. And then, what are you going to do with the live chicken after you catch it? What is the origin story of this? Was I there don't... just a mob of people gathering around, uh, demanding chickens? And then I, they... <laughs> I, I just, you just don't know. Uh, it's this is this festival has, has been going on for thirty-five years. It's the. This is the uh, the guy who one of the guys who attends it. I'm looking at the story. says It's the greatest day of the year. Which would kind of be the definition of desperately needing to get a life. If the greatest day of your year is waiting below the general store for somebody to throw a live chicken off the roof so you might be able to catch it. I mean, look, I, I get it. I go to Marquette games. You go to Bucks games. They do the, they drop the Gruber t-shirts from the, from the ceiling. Okay. Oh, yeah. I, I understand people get worked up about that, but that's different than a freezing screaming I mean, live chicken, terrified live chicken. Uh, it's the greatest day of the year. We honestly look forward to it more than anything out of the entire year forget christmas forget the fourth of july forget the super bowl it's the day we throw the live chickens off the um roof now a number of these folks that attend are i mean it's it's a farm area so theoretically the chickens will in the best case scenario i guess be brought back to to the farm and um I don't know, small towns hospitality brings people back every year, not to mention the live chickens that they're throwing off um, the roof. Apparently, at one point in time, they were going to uh, let turkeys go. They were going to, like, release turkeys. Um, but they decided the turkeys were so big, they beat up on the little kids. Yeah, they're huge. Those right. are, like, twice the size of chickens. So they so they, so they decided they weren't going to... See, people are listening to us thinking I'm making this up. I, I'm... I'm not. And there's one of these like change.org things that's out there saying, you know, you should really there's animal cruelty statutes in Wisconsin. And I don't know if I haven't looked at enough to know that they apply, but they're throwing chickens, 230 chickens off the roof of a general store. One of our texters says, are these people nuts? I, I, I don't know thousands of people um you know come around thousands of people come around and they they try to catch a chicken i don't even stand up to try to grab the t-shirts when they fall from the from the ceiling much less driving to richland wisconsin um and of course one of our texters quoting the great line from the great tv show wtmj uh wtmj uh, wkrp in cincinnati as god is my witness i thought turkeys could fly Well, the chickens can't fly either. Wow. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. I will see. I spent the break watching videos of them throwing chickens off this roof. I have a texter that says, chickens can fly a little. Yeah, I'm watching the chicken. It's, it's kind of flapping its wings as it flies. It's not flying. It's, it's heading down. Chickens can fly a little. There's no hard landing. It's not cruel at all. Okay okay people are trying to grab the things by you know here but let, let's let's do a baby toss next here we're going to get all the that that's going to be our what we're going to do we're going to go up to ridgeland and we're going to take babies and we're going to throw them off the roof and we're going to let them flap their arms and you can try to catch them that's not cruel i will i will send out a video of this and people can decide i i'm look i'm not one of these people who goes overboard on like the whole idea of animal cruelty and things like that and i'm not opposed to fishing or hunting or things like that but They're throwing chickens off a roof. Everyone says, everyone stops you and says, nice chicken, and stuff like that. It's just a fun time out there, says 15-year-old Chase Hollister, who caught three chickens at the event. Well, it might be fun for Chase. I'm not sure it's so much fun for the chicken. I will send on Twitter, I'll send a a video of this, and um, again, You'd think that there would be ways that you could, you know, promote the town and the event without taking live animals and tossing them off a roof into a crowd, but I digress. Okay, Madison, 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 Madison schools have decided that without telling parents, they will permit and encourage children of any age to change their gender identification. Let me explain what that means. Let us say you have a second grader who goes into the school and the second grader is named Kyle and Kyle is a boy. Kyle has all the boy parts. Kyle is a boy and Kyle decides, well, he doesn't want to be a boy anymore. Kyle wants to be a girl. Kyle wants to be Sally. So Kyle goes in to his second grade teacher and says, I don't I don't want to be Kyle anymore. I, I wanna I wanna be Sally. In the Madison School District, what they will do is they will allow second grader Kyle to transition to Sally. And all the teachers and all the administrators will will refer to Kyle henceforth as Sally. All right? Um, they also also will um, assist sta- students of any age to transition socially within the school by recognizing them by a different name or proto- uh, pronouns. However, all right, so Kyle has now become Sally at school. Also, as a part of this, they agree that they will not include the parents. They will use the child's birth name. So at school, Kyle can be Sally, but um, the child's birth name and pronouns, uh, he instead of she, will be used in official records and when communicating with parents if the student doesn't want them to know. I swear... Hand in the air. I am not making this up. So Kyle goes in and says, I want to be Sally. And the folks at Madison say, the Madison school say, okay, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to refer to you as Sally. All right, all the teachers are going to call you Sally. We're not going to call you he. We're not going to call you Mr. such and such. We're going to call you Ms. such and such. It's going to be Sally. You can be Sally moving forward. But here's the deal. We're not going to tell your parents That We are doing this. It's just going to be a secret between us, the school district and and you, because, you know, we, we we don't get mom and dad involved with this because there's a chance that mom and dad might find out about it and say. What the hell are you doing, Madison School District? You mean to tell me that my second-grade son decides that he wants to be called Sally, and you're going to call him Sally, and you're not going to tell me? Now, I understand. I'm describing this, and it sounds like we have gone through the looking glass because we have gone through the looking glass. Now, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty... Um, who is a conservative think tank and legal outfit who who's filed a lot of lawsuits with a great deal of success over the years. They they've sued. Um, you know, they sued um, to prevent this, alleging that this behavior going essentially behind the back of the parents violates the um, state constitution. And they say the policy interferes with the parents right to direct their own children's health treatment and religious up bringing um 11 of the parents who are part of this lawsuit are christians who believe the sex of each of us is born with is a gift not an arbitrary imposition all right our number 855 616 1620 that is the acunate mortgage talk and text line all right i want to give you a chance to call in think about this and we're gonna take a quick break for the news i think and i said this when i sent out the the tweet describing this this is As crazy and as whacked out a thing as I have ever heard. I think it is irresponsible and destructive to allow a school district to make a decision with kids that they are going to facilitate this without incorporating the parents. You are talking about minors. How dare the Madison School District do something like this if it is not illegal? It should be. 855 616 1620. That's the Accident Mortgage talk and text line we discuss in a couple minutes. The news starts right now. If you're on the line, please hold on. Grew is lining up the calls.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City. This is the Jeff Wagner Show, and now WTMJ's Jeff Wagner.
1: Eric, did you see the story I was talking about? I just sent, tweeted out the video about the Ridgeland, Wisconsin, where they have Pioneer Days, and so. Yeah. They go up on the roof of the general store, and there's this mob of people, and they throw live chickens into the crowd. Chickens for everybody. They're making it rain. It is raining chickens, and then you get to keep the chicken or do whatever you want with it. And I'm watching these birds, and they're you know they're they're. I mean, do chickens fly? Not really. They can kind of break their fall, but they're they're down there with their claws out. It's just i you know i i'm not an a- I just sent out a tweet with a pig- I'm not an animal rights kook. I'm not, but for God's sake, they're throwing animals <laughs> off the roof. you know
0: you, you know, know what I run into issues whenever we're at some kind of carnival or something, and the kid gets a goldfish. I'm like, oh man, what are we gonna do with this goldfish? I can't imagine if it chickens yeah, hey, chicken. hey, hey, <laughs>
1: yeah. hey, hey, look, Dad. I just came home with like three chickens. What are you gonna do with it and, and and again i I'm not one of these animal rights nuts, but they're, these are live things that you're throwing off a roof, and yeah. no, and these things are falling. And I understand they're flapping their wings, and and then you know, you know, crazy Frank catches one. You know what? What do you think is going to happen to them? <laughs> I just, I, I'm just looking at. But this this is this big thing. It attracts yeah. people. They come from miles around to try to catch chickens that they've tossed off a roof. And you think your life is kind of dull, huh? All right, I've been I've been avoiding talking about this because my blood pressure is just going through the roof. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Probably about 50 texts came in in the last couple minutes. If you're just tuning in, uh, the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, after being told by the Madison School District to pound sand, that's essentially what they said, pound sand has sued to stop the Madison School District from its policy regarding Lying to parents and allowing kids to change gender identification. All right, here's the rules in Madison. Let's go over them quickly. Children of any age, that would be your kindergartner, that would be your first grader, that would be your second grader, can transition to a different gender identity at school by changing their name and pronouns without parental notice or consent. Hey, Kyle, how are you doing today? Don't call me Kyle. I want to be Sally. Don't call me he. I want to be she. Okay, we'll do that. And we're not going to tell your parents about it. District employees are prohibited from notifying parents without the child's consent about their child's gender identity at school. Well, when your parents come in- f- well Sally, when your parents come in for the parent teacher conference, should I tell them that you know you, I'm calling you Sally <clears throat> No, no, don't tell them that because mom and dad won't be happy, but I want to be Sally at school. Okay, we'll keep your parents out of the loop. District employees are even instructed to deceive parents by using the child's legal name and pronouns with family while using the different name and pronouns adopted by the child in the school setting. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. This is... Incredibly irresponsible, and if you were ever looking for a reason to pull your child out of a Madison public school system, this is it. The complete and total disregard that the professional educators on taxpayer dimes have for parental rights, who in their right mind allows A six-year-old, a seven-year-old, an eight-year-old to decide what their name is going to be and what their gender is going to be without incorporating their parents into the conversation and how in the world... Could it be responsible, much less legal, to actively deceive the parents? My God, in Wisconsin, you can't get a tattoo until you're 18 years old. But you mean to tell me with the bureaucrat's and the pinheads in the Madison School District that the kid can come in at the age of 7 and announce that he wants to be Sally, not Kyle? 855-616-1620. That's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right, let's share some text while Gru is lining up the calls. We give the kids too many rights. Schools in the 60s and 70s, teachers could kick your butt and we all turned out well. Told dad a teacher hit me. The dad said, that's what you get for screwing up in school. Okay, (laughs) this isn't even talking about Corporal you know, punishment. Jeff, I'm an educator in Milwaukee. I would tell the parents anyways. How ridiculous. No, you the teachers can get disciplined. They are forbidden for including the parents in this conversation. Now I don't know about you. I don't have children. But if if I found out that my eight year old son was going to school and on a whim or whatever had decided that he wanted to be called Sally and the teachers the administrators were going along with this without bringing me into the loop well i mean again that's that's the day that, you know, you say, okay, private schools, this is why it takes, This is why teachers don't have the time to teach. Uh, Jeff, this has gone on far enough. It's exactly why my seven-year-old is in private school. These poor kids are so confused, and I'm sorry, but you literally cannot change your sex because you can't change your DNA. Now, look, I, I understand that there is the medical condition of what they call gender dysphoria, and I understand that at some point in time, as, as kids get older, there may, may be a very small percentage, percentage, percentage of of kids and it is a small percentage who have this issue legitimately and then you have to figure out how to deal with it so i'm not totally dismissive of it but you cannot figuratively speaking allow the inmates to run the asylum eight-year-old kid goes in i don't know maybe they're watching tv maybe they just think it's fashionable i want to be sally so i want you to call me sally and let's not let's not tell mom and dad about it let's see where do these people come from it's insanity well they come from The People's Republic of Madison. That's where they come from. Jeff, we have three kids in school. The stuff we hear from all three of them would make your hair on your back curl. The whole concept of gender and family are called into question. I don't know where these ideas are being injected into the education system, but the damage being done is severe. The kids need to be educated, not told what they are or are not. I agree. I agree. If you as an educator have a situation where you think that you may have one of these rare situations where you, you really have the kid who's suffering from the gender whatever, all right, I, I – I think it's completely appropriate to, you know, whistle mom and dad in and say, you know, we've been noticing these type of things and we think that this may be an issue. I, I think that's perfectly reasonable to have that conversation. But you've gotta leave it up to mom and dad to make the decision. And this idea that you can you can lie. You are instructed to lie to the parents. Lie to the people who are paying your salary. Lie to the people who are in charge of your children. The idea that you lie to them when you have the parent-teacher conference, don't tell them that you're calling their kid Sally. You know, that it's, it's, it's Kyle for there. How, it, it, it cannot be ethical. And if this is seriously what passes for ethics in modern education, well, it, it's no wonder You know, we have school choice. And if this is seriously, again, what passes for the way teachers behave ethically, this is their idea of ethical standards in in public schools, this is a justification for closing public schools. Oh, did you really say that? Yeah, I said it. If this is – if we're not about educating kids anymore, but we're about deceiving parents and allowing children to decide what their gender identity is going to be at, at, again – it could be high school, but it's also I don't care I don't care if it's my fourteen year old kid or my six year old kid. This is not a decision that the schools get to make unilaterally. It's not a decision that my minor child gets to make unilaterally. It's a big deal. And the idea that you have these pinheaded bureaucrats, in Madison who think they know better than the parents and don't have to be accountable. Well, anybody who came up with this policy, not only should it be outlawed, but there should be outrage on the behalf of anybody in the community on a school board who voted for this, any administrators who thought this was a good idea. I'm telling you something, seems to me that it is time to just clean house if this is what passes for education. Jeff, this is unbelievable. As parents, there are enough obstacles for us to face without our children, uh, with when raising our children, much less throwing this one into the mix. I agree, it should be illegal. And the texts go on and on and on. Welcome to the People's Republic of Madison. Do you really want your kid educated in this system? Back for more. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, very glad to have you with us, group. producing the show today and always. You know what today is in Wisconsin, right? Voting day. Voting day. Have you voted yet? No, I'm doing it after work. You are going to do it after work. Well, good for you. All right? I, the reason I mention this is because there's not a lot of us, and I say us because I've got the I voted sticker on, there's not a lot of us who are going to vote today. Now, depending on where you live, you, you might have... Almost nothing on the ballot. Where I live, there are no contested elections except for the one race that we all are going to have a chance to vote on if we live in Wisconsin. And that is the primary for the election for state court justice, justice of the state Supreme Court. Um, There is one conservative who's running. It's Justice Daniel Kelly. He's been on the bench for four years. He's a really smart, really good conservative justice. I voted for him. There are two liberals who are running. One is a a sort of controversial younger judge, out of Madison, and the other is a guy who's been around the block a couple times. He's a Marquette University law school professor who ran a number of years ago and, and got beaten pretty badly. Um, one of the two of them will emerge. My guess is it's the female judge out of Madison, um, but but Dan Kelly is going to emerge. If you were asking me, well, Jeff, who did you vote for? I, I voted for Dan Kelly. It's not even close. Um, this is a seat that the left – Hopes to pick up because the general election is going to be in early April, and it's going to be the same day as the Democratic primary. And the hope is that there's going to be a huge turnout of Democrat voters who will automatically vote for whoever the liberal Supreme Court candidate is, and that will carry him or her to victory. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about this over the next several weeks, but that is the primary that's on the ballot today where I vote vote. Um, Fran and I went there. We voted about uh, maybe 9.15 this morning. Let me put it like this. We we walked in, and they were very glad to see us. There was nobody in the the polling place beyond the the poll workers, and we were number 34 and 35 or 35 and 36, something like that, which – I've only voted at this place a couple times, but that is incredibly low turnout. A friend of mine who lives in West Bend, she calls me and says that she voted about 11 o'clock and she was number 90 something, which in the area where she lives in downtown West Bend, that is extremely low. So you want to go out and and, and you want to vote. The the thing about these primary election days is it's a chance. I mean, your vote counts even more because there's going to be fewer and fewer people that vote. Now, like I say, where I live. Nothing on the ballot besides the state Supreme Court primary. There are, if you live, for example, in Milwaukee County, there are a number of interesting races that are out there. Chris Abley, the Milwaukee County executive, is not running for re-election. So you have four people who are on the ballot opposing him. The uber-liberal, Chris Larson, is expected to be one of the people that come through. And then there's a couple other choices as well. But, you know, you're you're going to have a choice there. There is a four-way primary. For mayor of Milwaukee, Tom Barrett is running for yet another term. Um, he's being challenged by State Senator Lena. Don't you know who I am, Taylor? Um, and you've got uh, uh, one of the aldermen from the South Side who has been running for a while and somebody else that nobody's ever heard of. It's going to be Barrett and somebody else. Barrett's got a huge war chest. Like I said, I'm kind of surprised that there was not a more formidable candidate than either Tony Zelinsky or Lena Taylor, who emerged, but they haven't. So my guess is that Tom Barrett's going to coast to reelection. If you live in the city of Milwaukee, a very, very interesting race for city attorney. The city attorney for like ever is Grant Langley, who's a very, very good guy. He's being challenged by one of his former deputies, Vince Bobbitt, who is, by the way, a very good guy as well. Uh, Bobbitt... I think, was planning to run because the word was that Grant Langley was going to step down as Milwaukee city attorney. And then at the relative last minute, uh, Grant Langley decided he was going to run again. And Vince Bobbitt decided not to get out of the race. My guess is those are going to be the two candidates that emerge. And maybe maybe we'll have them both on um, as we move towards the general election. So. It depending on where you live is going to depend on what's on the ballot. But we will all have the opportunity to vote for the state Supreme Court justice. And um, again, it's it's important Uh, primaries, primaries count because that's how you select ultimately, you know, who's going to be the finalist. So my I, I will tell you this. If you're worried about lines and things like that, my guess is you don't have to be concerned about that. Like I say, we were in and out today. It was about three minutes and it probably would have been a minute and a half, except my wife, as is her way, was chatting with all the poll workers and stuff. Oh, you know so and so. Yeah, I know so and so. And I'm like, honey, I gotta go to work. You know, <laughs> let's 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 vote and let's move on. But unless you're gonna chat up to poll workers, my guess is you're gonna be in and out in just a couple minutes. So if you're thinking about this, go get one of the stickers saying I voted in. It's the cost and the price of our democracy. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner.
0: This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ.
1: I think people, particularly people on the right, should be really careful throwing around the R. That is the racist word when it comes to Michael Bloomberg. Because, candidly, he's saying... Maybe not in the most articulate fashion, but he's saying things that a lot of people believe. And you know what? He's saying certain things that are true. We, we talked about this one issue yesterday. Bloomberg was, during his years as mayor of New York, he was a big Advocate of stop and frisk, which is the policy where they essentially flood high crime areas with police and they're aggressive and trying to go up and talk to people and detain them and find out they're carrying guns. The way they implemented stop and frisk in New York was was flawed because they were treating young black kids differently than they were treating young white kids. and, And that created a problem. But but the general concept behind what he was trying to do I think was good. I mean, here's, for example, what he said. We discussed this yesterday. He said, look, 95% of the murders, murderers and murder victims, fit one MO. You can just take a description. You Xerox it. You pass it out to all the cops. They're male. They're minorities. They're ages 16 and 25. It's true in New York. It's true in virtually every city. And that's where the real crime is. You've got to get guns out of the hands of people that are getting killed. All right, uh, okay, and now you, you have people on the right and the left seizing on this. Oh, this is just terrible. It's racist. No, he, he, look, he, he's saying we, we got to put the cops where the crime is. He said, look, crime, urban crime fighting requires cities to spend the money and put a lot of cops in the streets, particularly in minority neighborhoods where the crime is. All right, oh, okay, now this is being labeled as racist and all that, but, but again... Well, <laughs> As the point I tried to make yesterday, look, if you're if you look at the city of Milwaukee, for example, you will see not all, but a, a large percentage of the homicides and the gun crimes are committed within a couple zip codes. If you're the police chief and the mayor, all right, wh- where are you going to allocate the majority of your police resources? Well, you're going to allocate them in the areas where there are the highest crime. And does it matter, you know, what the racial makeup of the community is? Well, well, no, it doesn't matter if it's white or black or brown or green or blue or whatever. You put the cops where the crime is. So, I mean, you had people on the right and people on the left who were calling Bloomberg a racist. There were problems with the way they implemented stop and frisk. But the nature, the basic concept of going where the crime is, I think is is fair and to argue anything else I think is dumb. Yeah, that's the word I'm using. It it's just it's it's dumb. I mean, firefighters, okay? Do you do you send you you send firefighters to where there're fires, right? I mean, don't you do that? Okay. So the latest issue again playing into this kind of racism trope has come up with with Bloomberg. Here here's here's the deal. He donated Back in 2011, $30 million to something called the Open Society Foundation, which is this network founded by liberal billionaire financier George Soros. All right. Big, big time lefty. Um, The purpose of this donation was to enhance employment among minorities. Now, let's just back up for a second here. If, If you... If you look at, for example, let's take Milwaukee. One of, one of the most nagging and difficult problems has been the, the high unemployment rate in, again, some sections of the city, particularly as they apply to minorities. I mean, that, that's just, it is just the reality. And, and it's been a problem that policymakers are trying to deal with constantly because I think we all recognize that the, the key or one of the keys to getting uh, you know, a better life is education, good education, and also then you know a job. You know, so you can move your way up. So, anyhow, so Bloomberg he puts a bunch of money into that this George Soros program, and I understand it's George Soros, but but bear with me. All right, so he he starts talking about this. He says, and they're they're asking him about you know why are you doing this and you know what what you know why are you participating? He says, look, for a long time people have said there's nothing that you can do about high minority unemployment he said but but here's the truth Blacks and Latinos score terribly in school testing compared to whites and Asians. If you look at our jails, it's predominantly minorities. He says, if you look at where crime takes place, it's in minority neighborhoods. And if you look at who the victims and the perpetrators are, it's virtually all minorities. This is something that's gone on for a long time. I assume it's prevalent elsewhere, but it's certainly true in New York City. And for many, many years, people said there's nothing you can do about it. He said, well... <clears throat> He said, I, I don't necessarily buy that. He said, there's this enormous cohort, and I'm quoting, of black and Latino males age, let's say, 16 to 25. They don't have jobs. They don't have realistic prospects. They don't know how to find jobs. They don't know what their skill sets are. They don't know how to behave in the workplace where they have to work collaboratively and collectively. He says this is a problem among these young males. So yeah, I'm putting millions and millions of dollars in to try to provide training to, you know, help these young males become employable. Now he's being called a racist for saying, uh, again, you know, black Latino males age 16 to 25, they don't have jobs, they don't have prospects, they don't know how to find jobs, they don't know what their skill sets are, they don't know how to behave in the workplace where they have to work collaboratively and collectively. He's being accused of being a racist and saying that. Now, he's obviously not talking about every minority male, but he was the mayor of New York. He saw this as a problem, and he wants to kick in a bunch of money to try to provide training to help these young minority males overcome what he perceives is a problem that is stopping them from succeeding in life and is leading to lives of crime and in jail. All right, he's now being accused of being racist for saying that. Our number, 855-616-1620, that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line. All right. As as with the conversation yesterday, I, I, I look at the context of what Mayor Bloomberg is talking about. And candidly, I think for people to want to play the race card is very, very disappointing. You know, the truth of the matter is, in many urban areas, minority unemployment, um, unemployment between, you know, especially, you know, young males, persons of color. All right. It, it dwarfs it dwarfs, you know, similar, you know, numbers for whites. It's just kind of the reality. Bloomberg is saying this is what's going on and I want to try to make a difference. Is it racist to have that conversation? Our number, eight five five, six one six, one six twenty. That's the Academic Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And look, I I'm not on the Bloomberg train, but the one thing you gotta give him credit for is not only is he identifying a problem, but he's willing to put tens of millions of dollars of his own money into trying to solve the problem and you know what he gets from both the right and the left is oh you're a racist i don't buy it 855-616-1620 that's the acunate mortgage talk and text line if you're on the line please hold on
0: you're listening to Jeff wagner on wtmj
1: 855-616-1620. That's the Accurate Mortgage Talk and Text line. Look, I, I, I am not drinking the Mike Bloomberg Kool Aid. Okay, I am. I am just not. But at the same time, it's been very frustrating for me to see opportunists on both the right and the left who are, you know, playing the race card. Oh, look what he was saying when he was the mayor of New York. This is terrible. When what he's saying, I think is. Is not only defensible, but it's true. The current context that we're discussing is, you know, he he's saying, "Look, here here's the problem. If you look at crime in New York City, it was largely, not exclusively, but it's largely, it it's persons of color, ages 16 to 25, who have no opportunities. They don't have a lot of education. They don't have skills. They don't know how to work." Collaboratively in, in, and collectively in the workplace. Now I don't know why that is, but he's saying, look, these are the problems. They they, they don't they, they they're not they don't have gainful skills and and they're limited. So he says, okay, this is what I want to do. I want to take thirty million dollars and I want to try to help develop some skills and teach people this. And because. He is pointing out that this is a problem in the minority community. He's being labeled as racist. And I'm just saying he, he's correctly identifying a problem. How could that be racist? 855-616-1620. Chris says, Jeff, how is it racist when you speak the truth based on unbiased data while trying to help people? Makes you wonder if the complainers want things to improve. To which I would say, yeah, that, that that's exactly that. If you can't talk about a problem you're never going to be able to find a solution to that problem. Jeff, I'm a Republican. I have no love for Bloomberg, but what he said is true. Nothing about what he said was racist. Yeah, it it, it is. And if we're going to, again, stop crime. Look, and I, I come at these things from a criminal justice perspective, and you know, my point is always, look you know once people commit crimes they have to be held accountable but obviously in it's a better world if you can discourage people from committing crimes well how do you do that well you you give people opportunity to you know be able to do well in life without having to turn to crime you you give them alternatives well, what does that mean well they've got to have education and they've got to have some degree of skills and they've got to know how to you know interact in in a, in a workplace and it <laughs> What's wrong with trying to identify that? And if in New York City, it is a problem, not exclusively, but a problem that, you know, creates proportionately a lot more problem in the minority community, why, why can't you say that? Here's a text Jeff. I'm not a Bloomberg supporter, but he's correct and not racist. The people who refuse to confront the reality are only hurting the very people they are supposedly worried about. Um, yes. Yes. That's the key to all of this. And, and look, I, I understand the dynamic. You've got a lot of Democrats who are running for office who haven't been able to get traction. And, you know, Mike Bloomberg, he's coming in. He's spent close to $400 million so far. He, he's got as much money as you need to spend. And a lot of the traditional politicians... Are, are unhappy that, that he's dwarfing them. I think he was, he was around 19% in a poll that came out just two days ago. And, and once, you know, unless he craters in the Democrat debate tomorrow night, you know, once Super Tuesday rolls around in a couple of weeks, I would not be surprised to see him doing extremely well because he's going to emerge as a more moderate alternative to, to Bernie Sanders. So you got the Sanders people who are starting to fire at Bloomberg. You've got some of the other multi, uh, moderate alternatives who are starting to fire at him, and they're trying to find whatever ground they can. And, again, I, I this isn't an endorsement of Michael Bloomberg. I, I think he's an interesting guy, but he's certainly not a conservative. He's just not as far to the left as some of the other candidates are. But, I, you know, you can criticize him for a lot of things, and I, I know – If he emerges as a serious candidate, we undoubtedly will criticize him for a lot of things. But this idea that, you know, we're going to call him a racist because he wants to send police into the high crime areas that happen to be heavily minority populated, that, that doesn't make him a racist. It makes him a guy who understands that the cops have to go where the crime is. And... If you've got a guy that wants to put millions of dollars of his own money into job training programs that are targeted for minority youth because statistically they're having a harder time getting a leg up than others, I'm not going to call that racist as well, period.
0: Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is The Jeff Wagner Show, and now
1: WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So can Bernie Sanders really win? I, You know, it, it's just it, it's something that scares lots and lots of Democrats because they are afraid that the country's not ready to adopt an 80 year old socialist as the president, especially given the, the economic times that we're, we're going through right now, where you've had pretty much unprecedented prosperity um in it you know and so what what's happening is a lot of democrat office holders are terrified that you know Bernie Sanders is going to lead to a wipeout if he's at at the top of the ballot and might be the only democrat around who you know can't beat Donald Trump now i don't know if that's true or not but uh Bernie is scaring a lot of people and yet at the same time he's 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 mobilizing enough forces which might allow him To get to the the presidency, because keep in mind, you know, when you have seven, eight, nine, however many candidates there are that are running, if you're if you're going to be able to come in first all the time with 25 percent of the vote, for example, in primaries, you're going to be fine. Because, you know, all the rest of the vote is gonna be, you know, split out. And there's an interesting poll that came out, uh, today or last night from NPR and PBS. And I understand whenever you hear these polls, you take them with a grain of salt, but it's kind of interesting numbers. So they, they asked people, they asked Democrats who their, who their choice was for president. And interest, and again, we this is a national poll, so you know you don't select the. It's not a popular vote to select the president. You got to look state by state. But interestingly, um, people who answered this, and this is, Republicans aren't invited here. You had Bernie Sanders, who was the choice of thirty one percent. He was thirty one. Second place, despite the fact that he hasn't been in any debates hasn't been on any ballots, hasn't been at caucuses. Michael Bloomberg, because he has spent close to $400 million in advertising, he came in second at 19. Joe Biden, third at 15%. Elizabeth Warren, whose candidacy has just gone nowhere. Um, she's at 12. Amy Klobuchar at 9 And uh, Pete Buttigieg, he's at at 9, and then it it drops off after that. But the the story is, you know, Bernie Sanders with 31% of the vote. You add that to Elizabeth Warren's 12% and you get 43%. So that I think that's probably accurate. You've got probably 60% of the Democrats who would choose a more moderate alternative, a Mayor Pete or Amy Klobuchar or Michael Bloomberg or Joe Biden. And that's about 60-40. But that not, might not make any difference because as long as you've got seven or eight candidates in there, you know Bernie Sanders can continue to up, rack up delegates with 31%. The other really interesting number to me uh, about the, this poll, now, keep in mind: you know, Sanders is ahead by by 12 points. Is is they give the numbers by age? Now, historically, people over 45 vote in much larger numbers than people under 45. Matter of fact, every election year, we'll always do a. Uh, do a segment on, on youth quakes, and I'll, I'll talk to people in, in their twenties and ask if they're going to vote. And a lot of people in their twenties who listen to my show, you know, are, are are certainly voters. But then I'll ask them about their peers, and they'll say, you know, and most of the people I hang out with, you no, know, we're 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 not voting. And I I guess I I sort of understand that. Now I was a political junkie ever since I was a kid, which might explain a lot of stuff. But but for a lot of people, okay, you know, you're you're really not. You don't understand how, especially at a young age, how you know, who gets elected in office, how it makes a difference really for you. I mean, you're, you're concerned with, hey, what am I going to do Friday night? And am I going to get a date? And, you know, then am I going to get a job and things like that. And it's once you hit... I don't know, once you get out of school, once you start hitting, you know, around 30, where you really start tuning into quality of life issues and can I buy a house and, you know, what's, you want to start a family and you want to have good schools. It, it, and at that point in time, you start to get more tuned in. But, but here's the interesting thing. So historically, people, older people, you can define older however you want, tend to vote in a lot higher numbers than younger people do. And I know it's one of the frustrations you hear. Sometimes you'll hear people who are in their 20s say, well, well, none of the candidates are speaking to me. And to the extent that they're not, in large measure, it's because younger people tend not to vote, certainly not in the percentages of older people voting. So if you're a candidate, you want to go where, where the, where the votes are. And if that means it's people over 45 or over 50 or whatever, that's where you spend some of your attention. In any event, so Bernie Sanders, 31% of the vote overall. But get this. Among voters in this poll, under 45, Bernie Sanders pulled in 54% of the vote. Fifty-four percent of the vote, and and there's like eight or nine choices that are there, and and among the younger people, and my guess is that as you got if you got lower in age, if you got into the eighteen to twenty and thirty, that number would go up dramatically. But he got fifty-four percent of the vote among voters forty-five or older. He only got thirteen percent of the vote. So Bernie is not connecting. With older voters, older in this case being people over 45, he's not connecting with with those folks. But it's kind of that youth quake that's out there that's carrying him right now. That might be enough to do well in some primaries. Uh, Moving forward, it's it's big trouble Um, among people, 45 and older who does well. Uh, Michael Bloomberg, 27 percent of the vote. Uh, Joe Biden, 22 percent of the vote. Klubachar 11 percent. Mayor Pete, 11 percent. So interestingly, um, Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, Warren's doing poorly with every group. But Bernie does really, really well with people under 45 and really, really crummy with people over 45. Interesting numbers. It's a snapshot. Who ultimately becomes the nominee? I don't know. But as time goes on. Don't be surprised if if this becomes more and more a race between Michael Bloomberg and Bernie Sanders. Interesting times. Okay, when we come back, the brewers have something to say about finances. Um, There's a new study out that backs up the brewers. We'll discuss. You're listening to Jeff Wagner
0: on WTMJ.
1: So, very glad to have you with us. All right, in 2004... When the ownership group, the investment group, headed by Mark Atanasio. Mark Atanasio is not the sole owner of, of the Brewers, but he's the, the head of this investment group. So he's the principal partner. When they bought the Brewers from the Seeligs, September of 2004, the deal was $223 million. That was in 2004. Um, according to Forbes last year, now some people you know, take issue with this. But according to Forbes last year, that $223 million investment over the last 15 years has grown to $1.2 billion. So it, it's been a very, very good deal for the ownership group for the Brewers. $223 million now has become, you know, $1.2 billion. And my, my guess is it's got nowhere to go but up. At the same time, I I think you can make a strong argument that it's also keeping the Brewers here and the whole Miller Park building facility, building the Miller Park facility, um, has been a good deal for the community. Now, I was one of these guys on the radio in 2003 and 2004 and before that. I mean, I I still have psychically the scars from all the, the heat that I took. You know, oh you're you know, you're supporting, you know, building this facility and it's gonna be places where millionaires can play, you know, you're building a facility so millionaires can play for billionaires. And 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 I understand that, but at the same time, there's no question in my mind that if we had not have built Miller Park The the Brewers would have left. We would not have Major League Baseball here. And to me, as a baseball fan, that would have been a loss. But as somebody who's part of this community, I think it would have been an even greater loss. So anyhow, the Metropolitan Milwaukee Association of Commerce comes out with a study yesterday. And the study says that Miller Park has generated 2.5 B as in billion for the economies of the city of Milwaukee and the state of Wisconsin, you know, since it was built. Okay, um, <clears throat> the Miller Park lease is in its 20th um, year, the original lease. The sales tax that has been collected, it was supposed to only be collected for like, what, 12, 13, 14 years, it, it's going to sunset um, this year, I believe, which is a lot longer than people thought, but it is nevertheless going to... Um, sunset. The study says this $2.5 billion overall impact represents the cumulative net new impacts that would not have been realized had there not been baseball and had there not been Miller Park. All right. Our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I think, I think Miller Park and the ownership of the Brewers has been good for the owners of the Brewers. I think it has also been very, very good for the community. Nevertheless, I still understand, that even 20 years later, that there's still hard feelings about this. So let's just tee this up. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Are you happy that we made the decision to build Miller Park? Has it been a good decision? Has it been a positive decision? net positive for the community? Or was this just an improper use of taxpayer dollars? Was it a bad investment? Was it um, a poorly considered investment that have resulted in people who live in the five-county region paying extra sales tax for the last 20 years? Has it been a good deal Do you think it was a good deal? Are you glad we did it? 855-616-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. For me, it's an easy answer. I I think the community is so much more rich and full because, you know, we we have Miller Park. Now, the next conversation is going to be, you know, do you need to put more public money into maintaining it? Where is that going to come from? But I don't want to have that conversation today. Today is looking back. Was it a good deal? Are you glad we did it? And my answer is not just yes, but heck yes. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you're on the line, please hold on.
0: You're listening to
1: Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So, very glad to have you with us. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Let's start with Tim in Green Bay. Tim, hello.
0: Hey, Jeff. You know, I'm with I'm with you. I think it's it's an amazing thing. You know, I like to come down to Brewer games, but you know, there was there was a time before they before they built Mill, Miller Park that I was I would just kind of hesitant because I, I didn't know what the weather was going to be like. Mm-hmm. You know, and now I can now I can go out and I can buy tickets for a, basically any game of the year and go down there and not have to worry about it raining.
1: You know, they're really lucky in one respect that they they pulled the trigger on building it when they did because I, I agree with you I think the roof make makes such a difference because I mean I remember the, those spring days you know County Stadium where you know it's raining or it's cold it's a miserable experience to your point you know now you know you can drive down here and there's, there's going to be a game and you look at a lot of the new stadiums they're building like the one they built in Minnesota the one they built in Detroit they can't afford to put the roofs on them so we're we're lucky we have that roof you know and I think if we had waited 10 years we wouldn't have been able to afford to put the roof on it either.
0: Right. And, you know, and, and another thing, Jeff, is another thing they get out of that is look at all the shows and everything they've had there and all the revenue that would come in from all the concerts and stuff they've had.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, right. You've got, I mean, thanks. And, and here, I mean, here's the truth. I know there's some people who, who back in the day said, well, what we should have just retrofitted County Stadium. Now, it, it's been 20 years. So my guess is maybe you don't remember County Stadium, or if you remember County Stadium, you, you kind of remember it. Oh, it wasn't that bad. County Stadium, I say this lovingly, it was a dump. I mean, and it 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 had it outlived its usefulness, and the I I had just started working here in TMJ TMJ for the last couple of years of, of County Stadium, so I I had an opportunity. I would get into the bowels of County Stadium, and I kept thinking, this is the recovering lawyer in me, man. They're lucky that OSHA isn't coming over here. I mean, there there were pipes that were hanging down. It, it was like one safety hazard after another. It it just it just was and I I understand we all think about it affectionately and that's all great but I'm just telling you County Stadium it sort of outlived its usefulness and this idea that hey we could have taken a little bit of money in it we could have turned it into a place where you're going to have all all these concerts I remember it was a great time I saw Pink Floyd in the 70s yeah that was the 70s but you know it's kind of 50 years later Mary in Greenfield Mary you're on WTMJ good afternoon good afternoon Jeff how are you I am well thank you what do you think about all this
0: I agree with you too. I think it's a great thing that we built Miller Park. In um, your previous call, you guys were talking about Milwaukee County Park. I can remember that from when I, was, when I was younger, my husband and I. But what they've done, which is really nice, is they've kept the diamond and they let the little leagues play on there. Yep. So you still got the memories looking at the diamond with the kids are playing on.
1: Right. Yeah, it's um, I right. They've done a lot to kind of you know maintain the tradition that, that's there, and the, the truth right. of the matter is, Mary, I base the Brewers would not have stayed. The Brewers would have moved somewhere, And right. you, you you can't tell me that the community's not better that we have Major League Baseball here. It, it's oh,
0: much better, much better, and they they do a lot of charitable things for the community with um, outreach for food drives and things like that, yeah. and also. The fact they give discounted tickets part part of the year
1: for Milwaukee County residents and I think Ozaukee County residents, too.
0: No, I think so any, getting, anybody in that, that five-county region, in that.
1: no, thanks. to no, a matter of fact, the deals are anybody in that five-county region, if you're contributing the sales tax, you know, you're, you're part of the deal. Um, the, the story about this, what they say, I mean, here's the numbers. To date, about $605 million have been collected in taxes to pay for Miller Park. Uh, the brewers have paid $19.8 million in rent. Um, and another one hundred and six point eight million to maintain and enhance the ballpark, so i mean let 's be honest I mean the lion 's share has of course come from you know the, the taxpayers in underwriting the cost of the facility and as I said earlier i mean i, I just the, the, the brewers ownership group you know you bought an asset worth two hundred and twenty three million and now it 's worth one point two billion so you 've done extremely well but but I would argue that the taxpayers and the people in the community have also done extremely well as, as well. And, and it's really been kind of a win-win type of situation. Now, again, I think there's gonna be debates moving forward because once the sales tax sunsets, Then the question's going to be, okay, the upkeep of the stadium, you know, who's going to pay for the new ribbon board? You know, who's going to pay for the new scoreboard? Those type of things. And those are discussions for another day. But I do think as you look back on on Miller Park, and especially if you are old enough to remember what the alternative was, you sit and you say, okay, this was a pretty good investment. Now, I also understand intellectually, there is this argument that says, all right, you, you have these owners. That have seen their investment increase to $1.2 billion, right? They, they've made a lot of money on this particular franchise. Why, why should we not expect them to, you know, to pay for the stadium? I, I've always understood that argument, but the reality is the world we live in now is that's, that's not how it works. I mean, communities have to build the stadiums or in the case of the Bucks facility, at least built part of the stadium in order to you know make it financially desirable for the team to want to stay in this case like i say i think it's been a win-win situation all around i don't know if i buy all the numbers in the chamber of commerce study but but even if they're inflated a little bit doesn't matter still a very very good deal And, and by the way first spring training baseball game this saturday